Day ten, the eighth story of the Decameron, Part B. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. C. Guan. The Decameron by Giovanni Boccaccio. Translated by J. M. Rigg. Day ten, the eighth story, Part B. But, for that discourse of the secret providence and purposes of the gods seems to many a matter hard and scarce to be understood, I am willing to assume that they meddle in no wise with our concerns, and to descend to the region of human counsels. In speaking whereof, I must needs do two things quite at variance with my want, to wit, in some degree praise myself and censure or vilify another. But, as in either case, I mean not to deviate from the truth, and tis what the occasion demands, I shall not fail to do so. With bitter upbraidings, animated rather by rage than by reason, you cease not to murmur, nay, to cry out against Gisippus, and to harass him with your abuse, and hold him condemned, for that her whom you saw fit to give him, he has seen fit to give me to wife wherein I deem him worthy of the highest commendation, and that for two reasons. First, because he has done the office of a friend, and secondly, because he has done more wisely than you did. After what sort the sacred laws of friendship prescribe that friend shall entreat friend, tis not my present purpose to declare. T'will suffice to remind you that the tie of friendship should be more binding than that of blood or kinship, seeing that our friends are of our own choosing, whereas our kinsfolk are appointed us by fortune. Wherefore, if my life was more to Gisippus than your good will, since I am, as I hold myself, his friend, can any wonder thereat? But pass we to my second reason, in the exposition whereof I must needs, with yet more cogency, prove you that he has been wiser than you, seeing that, methinks, you wot not of the providence of the gods, and still less of the consequences of friendship. I say, then, that, as t'was your premeditated and deliberate choice that gave Sophronia to this young philosopher Gisippus, so t'was his that gave her to another young philosopher. T'was your counsel that gave her to an Athenian. T'was his that gave her to a Roman. T'was your counsel that gave her to a man of gentle birth. T'was his that gave her to one of birth yet gentler. Wealthy was he to whom your counsel gave her, most wealthy he to whom his counsel gave her. Not only did he to whom your counsel gave her love her not, but he scarce knew her, whereas t'was the one that loved her beyond all other blessings, nay, more dearly than his own life, that his counsel gave her, and to the end that it may appear more plainly that tis even as I say, and Gisippus' counsel more to be commended than yours, let us examine it point by point, that I, like Gisippus, am young and a philosopher. My countenance and my pursuits may, without making more words about the matter, sufficiently attest. We are also of the same age, and have ever kept pace together, in our studies. Now true it is that he is an Athenian, and I am a Roman, but as touching the comparative glory of the cities, 
should the matter be mooted, I say that I am of a free city, and he of a city tributary, that I am of a city that is mistress of all the world, and he of one that is subject to mine, that I am of a city that flourishes mightily in arms, in empire, and in art, whereas he cannot boast his city as famous, save in arts. Moreover, albeit you see me here in the guise of a most humble scholar, I am not born of the dregs of the populace of Rome. My halls and the public places of Rome are full of the antique effigies of my forefathers, and the annals of Rome abound with the records of triumphs led by the Quintii to the Roman capital, and so far from age having withered it, to-day, yet more abundantly than ever of yore, flourishes the glory of our name. Of my wealth I forbear, for shame, to speak, being mindful that honest poverty is time-honoured, and the richest inheritance of the noble citizens of Rome. But, allowing for the nonce the opinion of the vulgar, which holds poverty in disrepute, and highly appraises wealth, I, albeit I never sought it, yet, as the favoured of fortune, have abundant store thereof. Now well I wot that Gisippus, being of your own city, you justly prized and prize an alliance with him. But not a whit less should you prize an alliance with me at Rome, considering that there you will have in me an excellent host, and a patron apt, zealous and potent, to serve you as well in matters of public interest as in your private concerns. Who then, dismissing all bias from his mind, and judging with impartial reason, would deem your counsel more commendable than that of Gisippus? Assuredly none. Sophronia, then, being married to Titus Quintius Fulvus, a citizen of Rome, of an ancient and illustrious house, and wealthy, and a friend of Gisippus, who so takes umbrage of offence thereat, does that which it behoves him not to do, and knows not what he does. Perchance some will say that their complaint is not that Sophronia is the wife of Titus, but that she became his wife after such a sort to wit privately, by theft, neither friend nor any of her kin witting aught thereof. But herein is no matter of marvel, no prodigy as yet unheard of. I need not instance those who before now have taken to them husbands in defiance of their father's will, or have eloped with their lovers, and been their mistresses before they were their wives, or of whose marriages no word has been spoken, until their pregnancy or parturition published them to the world, and necessity sanctioned the fact. Naught of this has happened in the case of Sophronia. On the contrary, t'was in proper form, and in meat and seemly sort, that Gisippus gave her to Titus, and others, peradventure, will say that was by one to whom such office belonged not that she was bestowed in marriage. Nay, but this is but vain and womanish querulousness, and comes of scant consideration. Know we not, then, that fortune varies according to circumstances, her methods, and her means of disposing events to their predetermined ends? What matter it is to me? If it be a cobbler, rather than a philosopher, that fortune has ordained to compass something for me, whether privately or overtly, 
so only the result is as it should be. I ought, indeed, to take order, if the cobbler be indiscreet, that he meddle no more in affairs of mine. But, at the same time, I ought to thank him for what he has done. If Gizippus has duly bestowed Sophronia in marriage, it is gratuitous folly to find fault with the manner and the person. If you mistrust his judgment, have a care that it be not in his power to do the like again, but thank him for this turn. Natheless, you are to know that I used no cunning practice or deceit to sully in any degree the fair fame of your house in the person of Sophronia, and, albeit I took her privately to wife, I came not as a ravisher to despoil her of her virginity, nor in any hostile sort was I minded to make her mine on dishonourable terms and spurn your alliance, but being fervently enamoured of her bewitching beauty and her noble qualities, I wist well that should I make suit for her with those formalities with you, perchance will say were due, then for the great love you bear her, and for fear lest I should take her away with me to Rome, I might not hope to have her. Accordingly, I made use of the secret practice which is now manifest to you, and brought Gisippus to consent in my interest to that whereto he was averse, and thereafter ardently do I loved her. I sought not to commingle with her as a lover, but as a husband, nor closed with her, until, as she herself, by her true witness, may assure you, I had but apt words, and with the ring made her my lawful wife, asking her if she would have me to husband, whereto she answered yes, wherein, if she seems to have been tricked, tis not I that am to blame, but she, for that she asked me not who I was. This, then, is the great wrong, sin, crime, whereof for love and friendship's sake Gisippus and I are guilty, that Sophronia is privately become the wife of Titus Quintius. Tis for this that you harass him with your menaces and hostile machinations. What more would you do, had he given her to a villain, to a caitiff, to a slave? Where would you find fetters, dungeons, crosses adequate to your vengeance? But enough of this at present. An event, which I did not expect, has now happened. My father is dead, and I must needs return to Rome. Wherefore, being fain to take Sophronia with me, I have discovered to you that which otherwise I had, perchance, still kept close. Whereto, if you are wise, you will gladly reconcile yourselves, for that, if I had been minded to play you false, or put an affront upon you, I might have scornfully abandoned her to you. But God forfend that such baseness be ever harboured in a Roman breast. Sophronia, then, by the will of the gods, by force of law, and by my own love-taught astuteness, is mine. The which it would seem that you, deeming yourselves, peradventure, wiser than the gods, or the rest of mankind, do foolishly set at naught, and that in two ways alike most offensive to me, inasmuch as you both withhold from me Sophronia, in whom right, as against me, you have none, and also entreat as your enemy Gisippus, to whom you are rightfully bounden. The folly whereof I purpose, not at present, fully to expound to you, but in friendly sort to counsel you to abate your wrath, and abandon all your schemes of vengeance, and restore Sophronia to me, 
that I may part from you on terms of amity and alliance, and so abide. But of this rest assured, that whether this, which is done, like you or not, if you are minded to contravene it, I shall take Gisippus hence with me, and once arrived in Rome, shall, in your despite, find means to recover her who is lawfully mine, and pursuing you with unremitting enmity, will apprise you by experience of the full measure and effect of a Roman's wrath. Having so said, Titus started to his feet, his countenance distorted by anger, and took Isippus by the hand, and with manifest contempt for all the rest, shaking his head at them and threatening them, led him out of the temple. They that remained in the temple, being partly persuaded by his arguments to accept his alliance and friendship, partly terrified by his last words, resolved by common consent that twas better to have the alliance with Titus, as they had lost that of Gisippus, than to add to that loss the enmity of Titus. Wherefore they followed Titus, and having come up with him, told him that they were well pleased that Sophronia should be his, and that they should prize his alliance and the friendship of dear Gisippus, and having ratified this treaty of enmity and alliance with mutual cheer, they departed and sent Sophronia to Titus. Sophronia, discreetly making a virtue of necessity, transferred forthwith to Titus the love she had borne Gisippus, and being come with Titus to Rome, was there received with no small honour. Gisippus tarried in Athens, held in little account by well-nigh all the citizens, and being involved in certain of their broils, was, not long afterwards, with all his household, banished the city, poor, nay destitute, and condemned to perpetual exile. Thus hard-bested, and at length reduced to mendency, he made his way, so as least discomfortably he might, to Rome, being minded to see whether Titus would remember him and there, learning that Titus lived, and was much affected by all the Romans, and having found out his house, he took his stand in front of it, and watched until Titus came by, to whom, for shame of the sorry trim that he was in, he ventured no word, but did his endeavour that he might be seen of him, hoping that Titus might recognise him, and call him by his name. But Titus passing on, Gisippus deemed that he had seen and avoided him, and calling to mind that which aforetime he had done for him, went away, wroth and desperate. And fasting and penniless, and for twas now night, knowing not whither he went, and yearning above all for death, he wandered by chance to a spot which, albeit twas within the city, had much the aspect of a wilderness and espying a spacious grotto, he took shelter in there for the night, and worn out at last with grief, on the bare ground, wretchedly clad as he was, he fell asleep. Now two men that had that night gone out a thieving, having committed the theft, came towards morning to the grotto, and there quarrelled, and the stronger slew the other, and took himself off. Aroused by the noise, Gisippus witnessed the murder, and deeming that he had now the means of compassing, without suicide, the death for which he so much longed, budged not a jot, but stayed there, until the surgeons of the court, which had already got wind of the affair, came on the scene, 
and laid violent hands upon him, and led him away. Being examined, he confessed that he had slain the man, and had then been unable to make his escape from the grotto. Wherefore, the praetor, Marcus Varro by name, sentenced him to death by crucifixion, as was then the custom. But Titus, who happened at that moment to come into the praetorium, being told the crime for which he was condemned, and scanning the poor wretched face, presently recognized him for Gisippus, and marvelled how he should come to be there, and in such a woeful plight, and most ardently desiring to succour him, not seeing other way to save his life except to exonerate him by accusing himself, he straightway stepped forward, and said with a loud voice, Marcus Varro, call back the poor man on whom thou hast passed sentence, for he is innocent. Tis enough that I have incurred the wrath of the gods by one deed of violence, to wit, the murder of whom your surgeons found dead this morning, without aggravating my offence by the death of another innocent man. Perplexed and vexed that he should have been heard by all in the praetorium, but unable, honourably, to avoid compliance with that which laws enjoined, Varro had Eusippus brought back, and, in presence of Titus, said to him, How camest thou to be so mad, as, though no constraint was put upon thee, to confess a deed thou never didst, thy life being at stake? Thou saidst that was thou by whom the man was slain last night, and now comes this other, and says that was not thou, but he that slew him. Gisippus looked, and seeing Titus, wist well that, being grateful for the service rendered by him in the past, Titus was now minded to save his life at the cost of his own. Wherefore, affected to tears, he said, Nay, but, Varro, in very sooth I slew him, and, tis now too late, this tender solicitude of Titus for my deliverance. But on his part, Praetor, quoth Titus, thou seest this man is a stranger, and was found unarmed beside the murdered man. Thou canst not doubt that he was fain of death, for very wretchedness. Wherefore discharge him, and let punishment light on me, who have merited it. Marvelling at the importunity of both, Varro readily surmised that neither was guilty, and while he was casting about how he might acquit them, lo, in came a young man, one Publius Ambustus, a desperate character, and known to all the Romans for an arrant thief. He, it was, that had verily committed the murder, and witting both the men to be innocent of that of which each accused himself, so sore at heart was he by reason of their innocence, that, overborne by an exceeding great compassion, he presented himself before Varro, and, Praetor, quoth he, "'Tis destiny draws me hither to lose the knot of these men's contention, and some god within me leaves me no peace of his whips and stings, until I discover my offence, wherefore know that neither of these men is guilty of that which each accuses himself. Tis verily I that slew the man this morning, about daybreak, and before I slew him, while I was sharing our plunder with him, I espied this poor fellow asleep there. Not need I say to clear Titus. The general bruit of his illustrious renown attests that he is not a man of such a sort. Discharge him, therefore, and extract from me the penalty prescribed by the laws. The affair had, by this time, come to the ears of Octavianus, who
who caused all three to be brought before him, and demanded to know the causes by which they had been severally moved to accuse themselves. And, each having told his story, Octavianus released the two by reason of their innocence, and the third for love of them. Titus took Gisippus home, having first chidden him not a little for his faint-heartedness and diffidence, and there, Sophronia receiving him as a brother, did him marvellous cheer, and having comforted him a while, and arrayed him in a pearl befitting his words in verse, he first shared with him all his substance, and then gave him his sister, a young damsel named Fulvia, to wife, and said to him, Choose now, Gisippus, whether thou wilt tarry here with me, or go back to Achaia with all that I have given thee. Partly perforce of his banishment from his city, partly for that the sweet friendship of Titus was justly dear to him, Gisippus consented to become a Roman. And so, long and happily they lived together at Rome, Gisippus with his Fulvia, and Titus with his Sophronia, in the same house, growing, if possible, greater friends day by day. Exceeding sacred, then, is friendship, and worthy not only to be had in veneration, but to be extolled with never-ending praise, as the most dutiful mother of magnificence and seemliness, sister of gratitude and charity, and foe to enmity and avarice, ever, without waiting to be asked, ready to do as generously by another as she would be done by herself. Rarely indeed is it to-day that twain are found, in whom her most holy fruits are manifest, for which is most shamefully answerable the covetousness of mankind, which, regarding only private interest, has banished friendship beyond earth's farthest bourne, there to abide in perpetual exile. How should love, or wealth, or kinship, how should aught but friendship, have so quickened the soul of Gisippus, that the tears and sighs of Titus should incline his heart to see to him the fair and gracious lady that was his betrothed, and his beloved. Laws, menaces, terror! How should these, how should aught but friendship, have withheld Gisippus, in lonely places, in hidden retreats, in his own bed, from enfolding, not perchance unsolicited by her, the fair damsel, within his youthful embrace? Honours, rewards, gains! Would Gisippus, for these, would he, for aught but friendship, have made nothing of the loss of kindred, his own and Sophronia's, have made nothing of the injurious murmurs of the populace, have made nothing of mocks and scorns, so only he might content his friend. And on the other hand, for what other cause than friendship had Titus, when he might decently have feigned not to see, have striven with the utmost zeal to compass his own death, and set himself upon the cross in Gisippus' stead? Chi avrebbe? Tito senza alcuna dilazione, fatto liberalissimo a comunicare il suo ampissimo patrimonio con Gisipo, al quale la fortuna il suo aveva tolto, se non costei? And what, but friendship, had left no place for suspicion in the soul of Titus, and filled it with a most fervent desire to give his sister to Gisippus, albeit he saw him to be reduced to extreme penury and destitution? But so it is that men covet hosts of acquaintance, troops of kinsfolk, offsprings in plenty, and the number of their dependents increases with their wealth, 
and they reflect not that there is none of these, be he who he may, but will be more apprehensive of the least peril threatening himself than cumbered to avert a great peril from his lord or kinsman, whereas between friends we note is quite contrarywise. End of Day 10 The Eighth Story Read by J. C. Guan, January 2009